los ojos. Open your eyes. I can do the alphabet backwards, so. Have you Ooh. practiced that in preparation yeah. for one day? Yeah. <laughs> Not in preparation for DUI, just to well, impress children. Oh. Or cops. Or cops. I think that, like, walking in a straight line part would be <laughs> the hard thing, though. I don't know if I could rehearse that. You know what I mean? <laughs> or the touching your nose by outstretching your hands. Which I feel like that, like, I can definitely do that absolutely hammered. You ever been drunk in front of a cop and they ask you to do stuff? No. Yeah, I have. Uh, <laughs> Not surprising. <laughs> but I was drunk, like, I wasn't so drunk where it's like I couldn't do the things they were asking me to do, but I was still scared because I'm like, yo, I'm drunk right now. <laughs> yeah, but, like, were you driving? Like, were you in a scenario where you weren't allowed to be drunk in front of a cop? No, but I was in association with people that were doing some dumb shit, so I was worried, you know, as, as you would be. It was in my dorm room, of, of course. Uh-huh. Uh, no, no, no getting pulled over by a cop being drunk. That has yet to happen to me, and I don't think it ever will. But, but I am ready for game day <laughs> when the time comes. Oh, prepared. yeah. I'm like Zach Wilson in practice, just ready for my moment to strike. Z Y X W V U T. Yes, R Q P O M M. Oh boy, guys! Speaking of bad drivers, <laughs> this is the finale of Redux August. Yes, now midway through September. <laughs> yes. It's our last show for a little while before we head up to the great north, to jolly old Canada. Great white north. That's right. Great white north. That's what it is. And see a bunch of movies at the Toronto Film Festival. We'll be back for October and the spooktacular. But for now, we close before a brief hiatus to talk about a movie we've been teasing for a while here on this pod, a movie that Adam and I have had our differences about over the years, I would say. Yeah, that's that's putting it mildly. <laughs> yeah. That film is Vanilla Sky, and we are comparing it to the original Spanish-language film hailing from the country of Spain, Abre los Ojos, Open Your Eyes, from 1998. I was trying to say it as like quickly and perfectly and quietly as Penelope Cruz was in the movie. It's actually quite hard to do. Abre los ojos. Abre los ojos. You got to do the lift. Abre los ojos. <laughs> Can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. Abre los ojos. I'm not even going to try. I don't want to embarrass myself. Penelope Cruz is quite fetching in these movies. What, what, what makes you say that? Um, You know, I, I just have a thing for mimes. Ah, yes, me too. <laughs> like miming. Uh, something we relate to. Yeah, we love mimes. We fucking love mimes. You know, as crazy as Vanilla Sky is, which is an absolutely bonkers, insane movie yeah. that did not do very well critically at the time because of that. I don't know if there's anything in that movie as crazy as an Abre Los Ojos where they make Penelope Cruz the apple of Tom Cruise's eye and a fucking mime. There's like an extended sequence where she's just in a park panhandling as a mime. Yes. And it's like, how is this woman, this ingenue, a mime right now? <laughs> Has there ever been a hotter mime? No. <laughs> uh, Zach would know this. Uh, oh, yeah, Zach's yeah, where is Zach? Where is he? Where is he? Why is she a mime? 
she has a passion for mimery. Mimery? Mimage? Mimage. Mime, I like mimage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe in Spain, I don't know if this is true, but the disciplines of acting and miming and like sort of physical dance are more heavily intertwined than they are here. Mm. I'm just speculating. I don't know. Maybe she's just like really into being a mime. But she's got all those little figurines and she talks about how much she loves miming. And like, obviously, if I was invited back to the apartment of Penelope Cruz, I wouldn't ask any questions no matter what was in the room. Yes. But some figurines of mimes and then a mime outfit with some white makeup would puzzle me a bit. It's questionable for sure. <laughs> which version of Penelope Cruz were you more attracted to? Open which, your eyes. Which Sophia? That Open one? your eyes. Oh my God. What kind of question is that? <laughs> I just think it's crazy that they did a remake where they cast the same person as the same character. That just doesn't happen very often. No, it does not. And it does kind of change the context of it a bit when she is this foreign woman living in the United States. She's kind of like this, you know, ethnic beauty that's sort of just been dropped into Tom Cruise's life. Whereas in that original, she is actually a person that would exist in the world. I don't know if it changes the context too much because at the end of the day, it's just you meet Penelope Cruz and you fall for her. I mean, that's kind of... As you would. That is true. That is true. You abandon Cameron Diaz for her, too. That's that's another important thing. Much like Michael Fassbender. Hot take? I think that's the right move. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would say I would, so. I would, I would, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would say the movie's think, pretty clear about that. Yeah, I don't think it's even close. <laughs> <laughs> pretty clear about that. <laughs> Man, I forgot about the reunion in, in The Counselor. The Counselor, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And she's playing a similar character. <laughs> That just fucks everything up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think if you were to make the argument for Abre Los Ojos being better than Vanilla Sky, you would probably begin with Penelope Cruz's character. Mm. Who, even though it's the same character that serves the same purpose and has the same name, she's definitely a lot more believable as the romantic love interest in that movie than in the new one where she's kind of playing this Cameron Crowe manic pixie dream girl fantasy. Sure, 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 sure. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. which is not really Penelope Cruz's energy, right? She's like elegant and, and classy in that original one. And this one, they just, I don't know. She's just learning how to speak English at this time too. She's just making the transition to American movies. Eh, something is not exactly right. Well, you look at her in the remake and you're like, this is all a dream. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, let, let me just start by saying that we've, we're talking about remakes this month, but this is one of the most remakey remakes I've seen in a long time. This is nearly a shot for shot fucking remake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it is incredibly faithful mm-hmm. to the original. This might be one of the few times where I can see why you would make a remake just because this one is a lot more accessible to English speaking audiences because the original is in Spanish. Sure. Um, and also the original was, I, I mean, I don't think it was starring particularly famous people. I don't know if Penelope Cruz was really all that famous when it came out. Certainly in Spain, she's pretty famous at that point. I, I was, she, she had just sort of, yeah, broke big. I mean, she was, this making- was sort of her emergence or among, uh, among that, Time period? Yeah, it was in that run. I think by this point, she already had made some movies with Pedro Almodovar. So she was already like sort of gaining a reputation. But it was sort of at the tail end of her Spanish career. Mm. And yeah, just Vanilla Sky sort of serves as a bridge. What an interesting thing where the basically the, the same movies are one is your, your end and your beginning. It's so weird. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Kind of cool. Yeah. 
the Spanish version of this film, Open Your Eyes, I don't think it's really something that is super accessible or super easy to recommend. Not that I think Vanilla Sky is much easier to recommend, but the fact that Tom Cruise is attached to the vehicle certainly helps. And all the other, I mean, everybody else too, like Kurt Russell and uh, My Name is Earl. Kurt Russell. My name is, we don't even refer to him by his name. It's just (laughs) My Name is Earl. It's fucking Dave from Alvin and the Chipmunks. It's not even Earl. It's My Name is Earl. Dude, poor fucking Jason Lee, bro. Like, had a nice little thing going for a couple years before he just retreats into chipmunk land. I know. Before he decided to raise chipmunks for the rest of his life. Had a thing with Kevin Smith, yeah. So it was, yeah, no, mall rats, and, yeah, yeah, chasing Dogma, Amy, and sure. Dogma, yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was going so well. But yeah, this is a super faithful uh, adaptation uh, for the most part. I think you can make an argument as to why they would have made the remake, but there's a problem with remakes, and it's really especially apparent in this film where the person doing the remake feels this need to prove that they understood the source material. And sometimes it comes through a little too hard. It's like, all right, bro, we get it. You got the film, but you're kind of also just shoving the thesis in our face a little aggressively. (laughs) And maybe if you just didn't do that, it'd be as good as the original film, which is significantly better. Nick, what order did you watch these movies in? Oh, boy. Front to back. Okay. I went back to front. I just finished Vanilla (laughs) Sky. Uh, 20 minutes ago. Okay. I mean, oh, fun. oh, lovely. I love it. Okay. Okay. Oh, I mean, congrats on that. Yeah. Good. I'm glad congrats on that milestone in your <laughs> I'm life. I'm glad you're alive. <laughs> so I think it's kind of hard to really hate on Vanilla Sky if you're also going to take the stance that Abre Los Ojos is a very good film because they're, they are remarkably similar and close. I agree with that. I, guys. I don't like either of these fucking movies. <laughs> I don't like them. I don't, I don't like them at all. <laughs> that was all I was going to say is if your stance is that they're both shit, I can actually get behind that. Right. Or if that they're both good. Yeah. But you can't be like, oh, Cameron Crowe completely sullied the original text, a masterpiece of its era. Yeah. Well, here, I mean, the, the, the movie for me with Vanilla Sky is just bad enough as it is. But I was sort of expecting Open Your Eyes to, you know, kind of you know, go a little deeper into those elements that, you know, I was frustrated by in the remake. Oh, maybe, maybe like that thing that was, was a little rushed over here, a little like unintentionally funny over here. Maybe that'll play better in this setting. Maybe yeah, it's, I would click for you. Finally. Yeah. Yeah. Like lost in translation for me. Like it, like the, the, you know, the carryover culturally is just wrong and maybe it'll make more sense when I'm immersed in that setting. Sure. No, I guess as the strongest vanilla sky defender, not only on this podcast, but maybe on the planet. <laughs> Uh, I will say going back and watching Aubrey Los Ojos for the first time, it just sort of played like a duller version of Vanilla Sky for me. <laughs> so like, I, I feel like all of the things that I love about Vanilla Sky are the things that are unique to Tom Cruise, particularly at this point in his career and Cameron Crowe as an auteur. You know, this to me, for all of its flaws, Vanilla Sky feels more like an auteurist statement and more of like a personal expression of the themes of the movie. How can you say it's duller? How in what world can you say it's still I made a list of all of the changes that I noticed between the two films and in every single one of them, the change made the newer film less interesting. (laughs) Hit me. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. first off, they made Tom Cruise less of a horrible person, (laughs) but they made him Tom Cruise. No, but they made him a better friend. They made him a better person, more of a victim, less of an asshole. Uh Um, But he's Tom Cruise. 
Coming off okay. of a divorce with Nicole Kidman. And it's not a good performance, bro. In fucking it's not a good performance. Hardcore Scientology <laughs> mode. It's not, yes, it's not. I also have it. I think this is kind of like a Scientology metaphor if you squint hard enough. Yeah, it's but. one of the most narcissistic vanity projects I think I've ever seen in my life. He does kind of do like the Oscar Beatty elephant man thing. Oh, yes. Of like, yeah, that was something I picked up on this time. I'm like, oh, this guy is really trying for like acting, capital A acting. Well, the, obvious to me, but you're you're watching it you're like it's so funny he's so funny in this movie he's a hoot yeah he's a hoot <laughs> can i play the clip now or am i gonna wear it out if i play you, it too early you wore it out a, on a billion other episodes Fucking you whore <laughs> play it again i don't give a shit Fucking mad. okay <laughs> In the new film, Sophia has a dog instead of a cat. Worst choice. <laughs> but that's because in, in future lives, they're going to become cats. Get it all out. Say everything now. Let's just, just David. say everything. Say everything now. Now, now, now. I'll tell you in another life when we are both cats. I can't believe you just said that. That is the greatest thing that I've ever heard. That's hilarious that you said that. <laughs> see, that's, you said that. You said that, see, that, that is what I love about you. Without really spoiling too much, I'll just say this. There's no mass shooting in the second Yeah, that was movie. a I was like, what the fuck is going okay, on? So I actually do have some behind the scenes on that. And I, I do really like that scene in the original, too, because it like puts you inside the head of a mass shooter for a second, which is cool. I mean, it takes the movie, the sort of... Uh, I'm not sure what's real elements of the movie, and it cranks up to 11 real quick. Right. And you feel like you've lost control. Right, because like you've gone so far down this rabbit hole. Like You better be sure that you know that this is fake mm -hmm. while mm -hmm. you're doing right. it, because now you've passed the point of no return. Which, again, the new movie also is much less ambiguous on all of that. Yeah, okay, we'll get, we'll get there when we talk about the ending of the movie. But <laughs> that there was a version of that scene shot and it appears on the 2015 director's cut Blu-ray of Vanilla Sky. Really? Yeah, the whole sequence with Michael Shannon playing the security guard and stuff. That's all in there as it was in the original movie. It's just they decided to cut it for some reason. Big mistake. Because Tom Cruise. <laughs> no, because Cruise doesn't. I feel like Tom Cruise is one of those guys who doesn't want to be seen doing stuff like that. You know what I mean? I feel like Cruise comes across as like a pretty big asshole in this guy. I don't know if like. Oh, he certainly does. I, yeah. I, I don't think no, he's but just, not like. Not like the original guy. Not like guy. the original guy. I guess. I don't know. Considering he's like the biggest movie star in the world, like, I don't know. He he subverts his persona enough. I think he kind of muddies his... I think it's in a weird fucking gray area where it's like somehow mm -hmm. like, like, look at me, guys. I can be the asshole. And then behind the scenes, it's like, no, love me. Love me constantly. It's such bullshit. I think the one thing that I kind of like better about this movie, but I also think it hurts the ambiguity, the fact that Cameron Diaz is character who is julie in this but uh was it noria noria when he begins to see sophia but looking like julie she is much more malicious and evil like his his imagination is much more maliciously attacking him in this version and the original it's literally just he's seeing the wrong face yeah mm -hmm. it's very obvious that this isn't real because of that behavior I see what you mean. Mm -hmm. I do think also in general, the woman that plays Nuria in the original movie is more scary. The movie doesn't even stylize her that way, but Najwa Namiri, I think is the name of the actress. 
if I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, like when she shows up, when he's laying on the street corner and she shows up the next morning, like that is a genuinely terrifying shot. Whereas Cameron Diaz, maybe just because it's Cameron Diaz and it's something about Mary or whatever, like she doesn't really have the same sort of terror, you know, yeah, tinkle you- down your spine. The Nuria character has like some Cruella DeVille mixed with Uma Thurman from Pulp Fiction kind of sure, yeah. vibes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like really compelling and spooky. I just think she's just a better performer in this role. Because I think when she has to be the Cruella DeVille kind of phantom character, she plays it very, very well. But when she has to be the victim as well, I also, you know, sh- kind of shift on uh, on a dime and say, oh, I feel really bad for you now that this guy's just beating the shit out of you and tying you up. I don't really care about what happens to Cameron Diaz and right. the remake. And also they don't really push it that far because no. Cameron Diaz is not actually beaten by Tom Cruise in the way that the original character beats Nuria. Yeah, because Tom Cruise can't be too evil. And they sort of also frame it when he gets to the police station, they show him the pictures of her beat up after the fact as if he was framed, Mm -hmm. but there's no ambiguity about that. So like little subtle changes where you do have a point. You wonder if Tom Cruise's agency kind of negotiated some of this stuff. Yeah. Making of the movie. Certainly. Certainly. It's crazy how much of the script is just straight stolen from the original Mm -hmm. film. Like it's almost obnoxious. Yes. The way that scenes are choreographed, specific lines Mm -hmm. are translated, although with a little bit of, Cameron Crowe corniness. Yes. Well, I, and I know most people don't watch movies the way we did, where you watch the original and then the remake the next day. Like, but if you do watch it this way, it is very distracting. Here's the <laughs> bottom line, right? The original movie, I think, takes the relationships at the core more seriously, right? His friendship with the buddy whose name I'm blanking on, but that's played by Jason Lee and the new Vanilla Sky is uh, a point of serious contention. There is a genuine conflict over Penelope Cruz's character. Um, There's a sense of betrayal, and there are real dramatic strokes throughout the entire movie. In Vanilla Sky, they kind of just make that friendship a shallow, bro-y kind of thing. Yeah. You know, like Jason Lee is kind of a frat guy. What else are you going to do with Jason Lee? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And also, why is Jason Lee acting opposite Tom Cruise? It's puzzling. (laughs) But I think you just kind of had to have been there in 2001. It is crazy that they kind of let them in the same room, though. Like, it makes no fucking sense. No, I'm telling you, he had a shot there for a little while to be a guy. Everyone else makes sense. Like, everybody's on the same level. And then there's just this guy. Well, the reason he's in the movie is because he's a Scientologist as well. Is that a fact? Yeah. Earl? I thought it was because he was in Almost Famous, but I guess that's... No, 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 no. Both Scientologists. That's what, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, that relationship, it, the, all of the broad strokes are there, but it doesn't have the same sort of emotional resonance. The Penelope Cruz relationship is a lot more hot and heavy in that original, mm. and it's a lot more casual in this one, mostly because Tom Cruise and Penelope Cruz, Cruz and Cruz, oh, there you go. Cruise and Cruz have uh, the the chemistry of oil and water. Yep. Yeah. Just uh, no sizzle. But to that point about like the dramatic stuff, like this was the thing that was still bothering me about that original is just the handling of that stuff. I mean, the heel turns in the original are often just as ridiculous sometimes. Like you're right in that, like yeah. the, like the sit down moments, they're a little more intimate and they're just nicer. But 
when the movie wants to get crazy, it's not afraid to do it. And it suffers from that same problem where it's like, I don't know where I am and I don't know what movie I'm watching anymore. Cause it'll, it'll go from like, like high concept thriller and then it'll go to like corny lifetime movie mm. and then back to the thriller with a science fiction twist. Oh like yeah. The last and, possible. Oh second. yeah. And then a science fiction twist mixed with all those other elements for some reason. Right. That is not really hinted at with the exception of a few little teasers with the TV news sequences. Yeah. They hint at it a lot more in vanilla sky than they do in the original. It does feel more out of nowhere in the original. Right. Because also stylistically too, like Cameron Crowe, the way that he shoots like the Times Square sequence, for example. Oh, it's so different. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. It's it's very like hyper stylized as opposed to the original one, which is, you know, shot like a pretty standard drama. The opening of that original kind of leaves me going, it, it gives me that uh, sense of like, ooh, what world am I in? Mm-hmm. Something's off mm-hmm. here. And the remake is just like a music video. I don't understand like what he was trying to communicate with that opening. It's just silly to me. That Times Square is empty. Yeah, well, yeah. No shit. <laughs> no one's here. Where is everybody? <laughs> but emotionally, I don't know what the hell it's supposed to be communicating. <laughs> it was none of that. Tom Cruise needed his scene where he's running. Ah, and bingo. Run did he ever? <laughs> oh my God. This is probably in my top three Tom Cruise running. And there's a lot of contenders. Man, there's seven Mission Impossible movies worth of running. I mean, it's really good. It's a really good run. Watching Collateral the other night, though, where he's running after Jamie Foxx through the hospital and then up the freeway. That's a that's just, when they're on that like bridge. Yeah, yeah. And then he throws the briefcase. And he throws over. the briefcase. Out. Oh, it's so fucking sick. It's kind of the best scene ever made. Did you watch Collateral again the other day? Is that what you're telling me? No. <laughs> uh, you excited for Ferrari, everybody? Yes, of course. It looks, it's literally, it's, it's literally Oppenheimer, but with cars. <laughs> That's what it looks the like. The trailers, I was not ready for the Oppenheimer vibes. I know. But that is what man is going for. I saved those texts. I'm like, it's, she's just doing Oppenheimer, Nico. What is this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Christmas Day. I haven't seen the trailer yet. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Merry Christmas to us. We didn't know how the world would change when... The car was introduced. <laughs> another another Penelope Cruz film. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah yeah yeah. She is in a, yeah uh, yeah. I cannot fucking contain myself that we're getting a Scorsese, Fincher, and Michael Mann movie this year. Crazy, and that all look like return to form. I mean, not like Fincher and Scorsese made any bad movies lately, but. Mm. It, it looks like we're going back to the bread and butter with some of these. It's like, yeah, we're going back to the way things used to be. Yeah. It's nice. Uh, Vanilla Sky. I, I long for the way things used to be when movies like this came out with Tom Cruise. <laughs> Good uh, Lord. <laughs> yeah. So listen, the dramatic beats definitely pack a, a harder punch in Aubrey Lasojo's. The reason that I like this movie, though, and in fact, the reason that I like it a lot, and I understand why you guys have your reservations and why my reservations, (laughs) it's actually a crazy movie. I'll give it to you. And it's wildly all over the place in terms of tone Mm -hmm. and the performances are kind of weird or whatever. Uh, I just love the Cameron Crowe of it all. And I love the idea that like Cameron Crowe took an international science fiction movie at the behest of Tom Cruise who saw this movie as soon as it came out in the United States, immediately optioned the script, and then convinced Cameron Crowe to make his version of it. Um, I love how he decided to make this movie his own. And in the same way that, like, 
I enjoyed <laughs> listening to covers of songs that I like. Is this a cover? It's bad. Absolutely. I don't know. He copy pasted it and put it through Google Translate. I consider this oh, a pretty l- lazy interpretation of that because it's so uninspired. And if you're going there, I love all the pop culture. I, oh, I love the Bob Dylan. That's what you like. You like the fucking Bob Dylan. That's it. That's that. We, we cracked you like the it. The reference Nick. to the Beatles. That they named three out of four Beatles by their first names. Nico, stop bullshit. Paul McCartney made an original song for this movie. Nico, stop, stop. Got nominated for an Oscar. The chef prepares a special menu for your delight. Oh my. Tonight you fly so high up. In the vanilla sky Your life is fine It's sweet and sour Unbearable great You gotta love Every hour You must appreciate This is your time Stop bullshitting us here. What? <laughs> it all comes down to Bob Dylan, doesn't it? Free Will it? and Bob Dylan? Yes, it does. <laughs> yes. I'll be honest, as a young man watching this movie for the first time when I spotted that scene, like the Leo meme. And I'm like, Hey, I know that album. (laughs) Felt pretty good about myself. (laughs) Felt pretty, pretty good. Uh, I have a feeling I would have hated this movie more had I not seen the original because now that I see how faithful it is to the original, I just realized that I don't actually hate this movie. I just kind of hate the original movie. And I also hate this movie by extension. Yes. <laughs> so do I. So I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> so, you know, this is a movie ultimately about like a lonely man that burrows himself into his dreams and his imagination in order to get over one meeting that he had with a girl one time. That's like that's like a pr- profoundly depressing idea. It's a boring idea. No, it's like you're so fucking lonely. I don't care. That, that, <laughs> that you literally decide to invent a new reality for yourself and live there in, in bliss. It's a college dorm room idea, bro. Maybe. <laughs> he likes the idea of women more than he actually likes women. <laughs> like, that's what this comes down to. He doesn't want to get to know any of these women. The only reason he's still in love with this woman is because he only met her once. That is if he met, a great point. If he yes. met her a second bingo. time. Bingo! Yeah, masterpiece! Absolutely! <laughs> bingo, bingo! <laughs> yes! It's just, it's just another element that reinforces why this guy is literally such a douchebag. Not only is he a rich playboy piece of shit, but he's just like (laughs) one of the worst human beings I've ever seen in film. Yes. And what bothers me a lot, too, is the fact that at the end of the movie, he kind of gets a happy ending. Yeah, he does. A very undeserved happy ending. He learns how to grow up. No, but there's no journey. Of course there is. He does not grow up. Of course there is. He matures. He decides to live like a real life. The life that he had been living before was just in the shadow of his father as an he empty suit. He agonizes. He does not mature. He agonizes. He sits there in pity. Uh-huh. And then one day he's like, eh, no, I'm just going to go jump off a building. And then I'm grown up now. Like, run away from your problems, kid. That's a great way to grow up. Like, shoot that guy with a gun outside of the building because it's all a dream. That's what a real grown up does. I'm not sure he learns much by the end of this. I think the plot forces him off the roof, dude. Yeah. Okay. That that's a 
decent point that we will get to when we get to the ending. But I, but I, <laughs> yeah, I do think though, I, I do think though the, the, the movie is about like an overgrown man child with like Peter Pan syndrome or whatever, deciding ultimately that he wants to live a life of consequence, that he wants to live a life where there is something to lose ultimately. You know, because in this imaginary world, like tech support is always going to show up and right the wrongs, right? Like they're always going to work out all of the kinks to make sure that you live pure bliss where you can get facial reconstruction surgery and fall in love with the girl that you have a kind of weird crush on and where there's no consequence. And he decides at the end, no, I want to live a real life. I want to take the leap of faith literally off the building at the end. I don't know what awaits me on the other side. I don't know what the world looks like now. But it's better than this, right? Whatever is real. I mean, it's the same thing as the Matrix. It's just a little gentler, right? It's the red pill, blue pill thing with a more gentler ending. Uh, I don't know. I call that maturation because literally the life that he had been living at the beginning of this movie as the, the CEO of a company that he had no qualifications to run and dating a bunch of women without any sort of conscientiousness about their emotional state at any point was a fantasy land, much like the fantasy land that he ultimately submerged himself in with uh, the life extension company. So, listen, we can talk about how clunky it is. That's fine. I just think the idea is profoundly, profoundly bleak. And mm-hmm. watching Cameron Crowe's version of it, mm-hmm. where literally after this heartbreak in his life, after this tragedy in his life, he burrows himself not only in his dreams, but in pop culture. He's like, I want to live the life that I saw in the movies of my youth or in the music videos that I watch or in the music that I enjoy. And, uh, well, I am like the whole target demo for that idea. Like that is literally, that is my thing right there. Um, and so, yeah, it's fucking clunky, but watching Cameron Crowe who started as a music writer and all of his movies are about pop culture and about music, filter this like high concept sci-fi idea through this language that I understand. Yeah. I, you, you got me, you know, I'm an easy mark for this. <laughs> I get what you mean. I get all of that. I think what bothers me the most about this and it, it's, it's in both films. It's not just this one. It's the character aspect of it because mm-hmm. I don't feel any sympathy for a rich guy who needed three lifetimes and infinite money to learn a basic lesson about decency. Yes. I don't feel sympathy for yes. him. He's a horrible person, and it took him uh, it took him 150 years to figure yes, out, oh, I should be nice to people. Yeah, exactly. Fuck you. <laughs> and he gets to live forever. That's his reward for being a piece of shit is he gets to live forever. Fuck this guy. When I was watching um, b- both of them, to be honest, they really felt like the worst example of like a – and then style of writing. It's not like it, it made me think of what Matt Stone and Trey Parker once talked about in front of a class where they're talking about like the justification and how you you're compelled by a narrative and the characters within it. And they say like you kind of have to do a like this happens and therefore this happens, but this happens and therefore this happens. And that's how everything flows nicely and you can kind of connect to what's happening in a way that's like seamless. It, it seems like a simple lesson, but that is actually the key to screenwriting and it's harder than it looks. Sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I want to just I want to clarify this more because there's a in writing. There is this idea that when you're going between events, it should always be therefore or but Mm -hmm. that separates the two ideas. If you use the word and it's just not interesting, it's lazy writing. That's the that's the principle. 
And yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, that's kind of what both of these movies feel like. So even though maybe there are interesting ideas there, I'm not sure the movie gets to them in an interesting way because they just feel so fucking random. What if we made it like The Matrix? What if we made it like a fatal attraction, <laughs> erotic thriller? What if we added some comedic elements? Yeah, yes. I get you. And that's the thing. It comes off like kids in college sort of writing this down. Like, wouldn't this be cool? Oh, what, what, wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool? What if we did this? Oh, yeah, that's put it all together, man. And I'm just sitting there like, yeah, hi, Adam Hall here. Um, this is uh, this doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. Well, I think the problem with both movies is that they're not really surreal in their filmmaking. No, particularly. Yes. Los I was you beat me to it. Yep. And that is in stark opposition to, you know, movies like being John Malkovich and Memento and, you know, the Matrix, certainly, and even like Fight Club to a certain extent which are movies about like the nature of existence and the nature of reality that came out in the late nineties, early two thousands. And all of them have like very exacting auteurs working on them. And Cameron Crowe is similar, but not like as a visual storyteller, like he's you know, more of an actor's director. He's an actor's director and a writer's, you know, and a writer, for more of a writer, right? yeah, yeah. you know, um, yeah. Like I actually think about this movie more like something like uh, Kevin Smith's dogma, which is, you know, again, Kevin Smith filtering <laughs> his very specific interests and brand of dialogue through this like high concept fantasy, not science fiction in that case, but this like th this sort of surrealist idea. Right. Mm -hmm. But in the Kevin Smith style, I don't think that this movie is su as successful as Dogma, although you guys like Dogma quite a bit, I think. Right. Both of you. Yeah, I like Dogma. Yeah. You just brought a smile to her face because I haven't thought about the movie in years. Yeah. Dogma is a, a, a fun little movie. Fucking. But I, I, I don't know. I like when indie guys like like when Richard Linklater does Waking Life or whatever. Like I like when indie writers, directors that are interested in pop culture decide to do something in genre. I, I like when that happens just as an experiment. You know? Jeez, I'm, th 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 that's a great point. I mean, this needs to, to work and to, to separate itself from Abre Los Sohos needs to be experimental in the way that like, like Waking Life is. Oh my God. Right. Or like a scanner darkly. I guess those are bad examples because Linklater actually does push his visual yes. style a lot yes. by actually making those movies animated. Yeah. Also, it, you know, as opposed to the RoboCop remake where there was no need for a remake, there was nothing you could add or improve. Mm -hmm. Abre Los Ojos does actually have like room to be a really tremendous film with the right person behind. I, I, I think that this concept and this this plot could work with the right people involved. Yeah, the uh, director of the Spanish movie, he does not like this movie, the director, to my understanding. His name is Alejandro Amenabar. He made The Others in 2001. Oh, I like The Others a lot. Yeah, he was BAFTA nominated, I think, for that and won a bunch of like Spanish Oscars. I think they're called the Goya Awards over there. That's a really good movie. Yeah, that's like kind of his big one. He also made, there's a movie with Javier Bardem about a paraplegic that like tries to kill himself. Jeez. Something about the sea. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm paraplegic. I something about the sea. It's called the sea inside. There it is. Ah, yeah. There we go. It's a real. It's a real hoot and holler. That movie. You know. It's a real thrill ride. Um, but but this director, I think, is quoted as saying that this, in his opinion, is his worst film. That's interesting because it's one of his most notable. Um, yeah. I haven't seen the others. Should I see that? Yes. You would be scared by it. Yeah. Okay. It's really good. It's just a really good movie. Really solid ghost story. 
so yeah, I, I think he does like a pretty good job stylistically in the first one. Like there are some pretty good shots, particularly when our main character first gets deformed and the hand goes against the mirror and you sort of get a brief glimpse of his face. Mm-hmm. You know, there's stuff like that. The reveal of Sophia turning out to be Nuria is really quite thrilling. Mm-hmm. And there are some like legitimately mm-hmm. scary sequences. I think he is more heavily leaning into the psychological thriller slash horror elements of the story in that version. Although it's not like a horror movie. Like, he definitely ratchets up the tension in the way that Cameron Crowe isn't really interested in doing. I mean, it's never really been Cameron Crowe's vibe. It wasn't back then and hasn't been sentenced. Never. No, absolutely not. <laughs> no. I just, and that, that's really what, it, a lot of what it comes down to as well. I just don't think Cameron Crowe was really the right guy for the job, mm. to be honest. I don't know who is right for the job, because I just think a lot of what this comes down to is just the, the original films like trouble with genre and tone even still hmm. i don't really know what you do it's like do you make it more romantic and sad at the end or do you just make it a flat out psychological horror that like maybe paints a nice picture at the beginning but then goes way off the deep end there are some like esoteric directors of that era like spike jones after being john malkovich could have made something like this possibly you know christopher nolan certainly could have made something like this memento is very similar. Oh, it's too small for him now. Yeah, I know. I know. But like, you know, sort of the noir elements and the man wrongly accused and the, the splintering reality. Like, I guess the best version of vanilla sky is it's just the matrix, isn't it? <laughs> it's just the matrix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird. Cause Aubrey Lozojo's comes out before the matrix. I know, I know, I know. And then this one comes out after. So it's in this weird middle ground where <laughs> yeah. people think it's ripping off the matrix, but actually it might've helped inspire the matrix. It's, it's maybe, <laughs> Um, Nick, do you want to go through the plot <laughs> of these movies? Oh, it's been a while since we've had one of these to level at Nick. <laughs> well, you want to do it? And I guess you can go through both of them at the same time because they both follow. Yeah, this is the, the nice structure. thing. Yeah, yeah. Their, their plot is the same fucking plot, pretty much down to a T. Um, our main character is a rich son of a uh, father who had a large business empire. His parents both passed away since, and now he's in charge. Yeah, in the new one, this is actually one of the main differences between the two, is that the original one yeah. sort of generically says, he's in real estate and, you know, he's got money. It, well, his dad had hotel chains. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the original dad was a hotel chain owner, and in this one, he's a magazine editor empire. He, he, he said his biggest magazine was TV Digest, so I don't know what that says about... Sure. <laughs> the new guy knows Spielberg for some reason. I don't know why he does, but Steven Spielberg makes a cameo in this movie. Yeah. And it is delightful. He Go. goes, David, you son of a bitch. <laughs> and then it's over. That's it. <laughs> Happy birthday, you son of a bitch. Happy birthday, David. Happy birthday. That's a, the power of Cruise, man. He could just fucking shut down Times Square for a day and get yeah. Steven Spielberg to. For three seconds. Yeah, it's... call him the son of a bitch. Okay. We open in the dream sequence of uh, our main character driving through the city, and it's remarkably empty. No people, no noise. So, uh, for the record, the only time that Times Square has ever been completely shut down for a film shoot, none of that is green screen, none of that is CGI. Wow. If you look at one of the windows, you can see briefly a reflection of a line of people watching Tom Cruise in the middle of Times Square. But they got in contact with Mayor Giuliani's office at the time and was like, Tom Cruise wants to shoot a movie in Times Square. Can we shut it down for a morning? 
And they're like, yes, but we are never doing this again. So don't bother asking. Wow. And after this happened, I think Danny DeVito requested for one of his movies that they shut down Times Square. They gave him a no. Several people have tried it since. But this is the one time ever on film that there is no foot traffic going through Times Square for the shoot of a movie. And it, it is quite striking, I will say that. Those uh, films that they were making during the pandemic had a missed opportunity there, didn't they? Yeah, that is funny. It's like, at the time, it's like, well, we're never going to see this again. And then we did during the pandemic. Yeah. And it's funny, as I was seeing the images of Shutdown Times Square then, it, yeah, it conjured up those same feelings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's something really weird about like the most populated place in the country having nobody going through it. It's really weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, so yeah, wakes up. Uh, there's a, a lady in his bed from the night before. In the original, it's Nuria. In this one, it's Julie, but Cameron Diaz's his character. He seems like he really likes her, and they are having a good time, and he's like, all right, I'm off. And then uh, it com- becomes obvious that he's kind of like a playboy, and this is a one-night fling for him. He meets his friend. Um, his friend talks about how much he is sad that he doesn't get girls like this guy does can i comment real quick about just like again like the carryovers from the original it's like the same costume (laughs) they dress him exactly the same (laughs) i will say caesar in the original movie does not have that awesome bucket hat that tom cruise has in vanilla sky which is Mm, fair point quite sick fair point that's true other than that yeah they're they're basically the same yeah Uh, we cut to our main character's birthday party, and his friend, who never gets any women, brings a girl with him to the party. <laughs> no, wait a minute. His friend, who in the logic of the movie is hideous and has no shot with any women ever, brings to the party the most beautiful woman in the world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> brings Penelope Cruz. <laughs> yeah. <in both films. laughs> That's really what happens because he bumps into her at the library. I love the previous scene. I can't get with any girls. And then the next scene, he's dragging in Penelope Cruz. I'm bringing in an angel. What the fuck are you talking about? I ran into her at mime camp. (laughs) Hell yeah. I love it. Yeah. Brings her to the party and our main character immediately kind of falls for her and essentially takes him away from his best friend, which is a real dick move. Takes her away with the intention of uh, sleeping with her. That's the other thing. To the point that he literally, in both films, essentially begins to ignore his best friend to his face. Y'all ever been on the Tom Cruise end of this or mostly the Jason Lee end of this? Oh, good question. Uh, mostly the Jason Lee end yeah. of this, for sure. Maybe I've been on the Tom Cruise end once or twice, but... I was going to say I've been on both ends, yeah. But I felt bad. That's the difference. Okay. <laughs> yeah, me too. I definitely yeah, felt bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point fight a fucking nickel buddy <laughs> i love she literally asks him too like like what if he finds out and he's like he doesn't need to know it's mm. it's just he's, he's like, the worst I'm such a good friend that i wouldn't tell him chivalry is not dead apparently yeah, in this world yeah. <laughs> wonderful logic um yeah it begins to fall for this girl does not sleep with her but spends the night with her at her apartment gets to know her next morning the girl from the previous night who's been kind of stalking him shows up and says, get in my car, I'll give you a ride. In the car, confesses her love for him and then drives off a bridge trying to kill them both. So a couple things. I want to hone in specifically on the Vanilla Sky scene here with Cameron Diaz. Oh my God, she is acting her little heart out. Unbelievable. What one of the universal praises of Vanilla Sky is that Cameron Diaz is actually quite good in the movie. 
And I would actually agree with that. I actually yeah, think she's, she is good. She's good. When I say unbelievable, I mean both in the sense that she's good and also in the sense that she's completely unbelievable. <laughs> yes. Somehow those things are not mutually exclusive. I don't buy for a second that this is a real person, but it doesn't need to be. It is kind of crazy that 75% of this movie takes place in a dream, yet the most ludicrous thing that happens is this Cameron Diaz character who is actually a thing in the reality of the film. That, yeah, the the craziest thing that happens is the thing that actually happens. The craziest thing that happens is this woman scorn drives them off a bridge because they had sex a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And that's not a dream. It is a bit crazy. Well, in the words of Cameron Diaz, <laughs> oh, it's the best. I've swallowed your cum. That means something, David. I fucking love you. I fucking love you! Fuck! Hey. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't do this. You fucked me four times the other night, David. You've been inside me. Julie. I swallowed your cum. That means something. Slow down. Four hey. times. It means something, David. Four times. Stop the car. It's 24 hours a day. I live with this aching possibility that you might call me to do something. Yeah, let's go to your house and we'll talk this out. I want to see where you live. Let's just slow down. I want you to stop the car. Stop the car! Don't you know that when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not? Tell me something, David. I mean, do you believe in God? Four times is a lot. Your body makes a promise. (laughs) Even if you don't. I totally forgot about that line. <laughs> How could you forget? It should be on the poster of this movie. Adam, I have that line tattooed on my arm. I went and I went and got that tattooed on me this afternoon after the movie was over. Cameron Crowe is coming off of an Oscar win for Almost Famous. They shoot this movie right after he wins the Oscar, basically. He has made Jerry Maguire with Tom Cruise. He has made Say Anything. The guy is at the top of his game just fucking feeling himself. I I am not surprised he just thought he could slip. I swallowed your cum that means something through the studios. <laughs> you know? It worked. That is just pure fucking vibes, man. Just top of the world cock of the walk this guy. I re- I really didn't think the man who wrote and directed We Bought a Zoo was capable of such things, but I guess I was wrong. <laughs> Crow, bro. I mean, he really never recovered from this. No, no. I mean, is there any movie that's at least like passable or they all suck? Elizabeth Town is charming enough. I guess. <laughs> I really? I heard the movie is quite horrible. Uh, we bought a zoo in Aloha, not so much. <laughs> he hasn't worked in a while. He did a show for FX which is basically like almost famous the show it's called like i think it's called roadies okay which i don't think was very good it had like one season and that's that yeah he really never recovered from this did he yeah elizabeth town we bought a zoo aloha nothing and this is coming after say anything singles jerry Maguire, and almost famous which is just an incredible run. I'm sort of fascinated by those directors that have like this amazing like early start and then make nothing but junk or make nothing at all. What the hell is the name of that guy who did Midnight Run? 
Martin Brest. Martin Brest. Martin. Yeah. You look at Martin Brest, he made like five movies and they're all the craziest fucking things you've ever seen. Like it yep. is the craziest filmography. <laughs> I love he makes filmography, like, yeah. He makes Going in Style, the George Burns, Art Carney thing. Beverly Hills Cop, biggest movie of all time at that point. Midnight Run, Scent of a Woman, mm. wins Pacino his first Oscar. Then he makes Meet Joe Black in 1998, weird ass movie. Yeah. Geely in 2003. Never works again. <laughs> That's <laughs> that'd do it. It's turkey time. Huh? Gobble gobble. Do you like the soundtrack for this movie? I guess by default. I, I kinda don't. A lot of people criticize it for being a, a bit obvious. <laughs> yeah, it felt a little corny if yeah. it did. I like the artists, but like it is corny. Yes, I agree. Opens with everything in its right place. Radiohead and that was like a big deal in 2001 yeah. because Radiohead gave them clearance to put one of their songs in. <laughs> they drop in that monkey song during one of the sex scenes and yeah I don't know I dig it it's just a little distracting and I do kind of wonder if like when I watch like foreign films and I don't recognize the music if people from that country have the same experience I have right in an english movie because like you know maybe maybe people overseas watching vanilla skies maybe it's not distracting to them because they're not as it'd be a little odd though if you didn't know who bob dylan was this movie definitely does it anticipates that you have a relationship to at least some of the music you know? yeah so you can identify that's the beach boys that's the monkeys that's bob dylan yeah i'll tell you what though most movies that like a major point of them is like music that is usually a major turnoff for me right away. That is boner city for me right there. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's just for me. I'm just like, you mean with needle drops or just like yeah. movies that are literally about music? I mean, needle drops. I'm talking about famous music, not music within the movie. You don't mind score. You mind too much soundtrack. Right. I mean, it's, it's great in David Ayer's Suicide Squad. But aside from that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. It can definitely it's a, it's a big swing. Like, if you're Martin Scorsese, like, one of the great music supervisors ever. Pioneers this method, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's it pays dividends, and if you're not that good at it, it can sink your movie. Yeah, like, him and Godard are, like, the two. Yeah, the, the, I think the problem is that there's dissonance between the music and the mood that it's trying to elicit in the scene. I think that works because of the dream quality of the movie. But what's the mood of the scene, well, that's the thing. It, it sometimes it just feels like Cameron Crowe liked all of these songs, whereas in yeah. like something like Almost Famous, mm. that feels like when they're singing "Tiny Dancer" on the tour yeah. bus or whatever, that feels right for the moment. You know, that's like the perfect song to sing there. Yeah. Or with Tangerine when they're driving away on the bus, I believe that's when they use Tangerine, which is a perfect application of that song. <sighs> Even my favorite Zeppelin. God, that's so good. It's a great song. What a movie. What a film. Yeah. Uh, I probably got to get back to the plot, huh? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> uh, after this car accident in which uh, an attempted murder occurs, um, he survives uh, and his uh, murderous does not. <laughs> but he survives in a horribly disfigured state. And I would say both leads, Tom Cruise and the lead from the original, who I, I don't remember his name. Caesar is the name of the character. Yeah, I would say that both of them are sort of unconventionally attractive men. I think Tom, I actually think the casting in this movie in terms of how people looked 
maybe not in terms of their actual performance, but in terms of how they looked, pretty good casting. Sure. I think Tom Cruise was the appropriate American counterpart to that actor. Are you saying Tom Cruise is not conventionally handsome? At this at this stage in 2000, yeah. He's gotten more handsome hmm. as he's gotten older. Just, Younger Tom Cruise, though. Just gnawing on that for a second. I was well, gonna, just going to chew on that one. I that's, don't know, not, that's not a hot take. That Tom Cruise isn't handsome in 2001? Young Tom Cruise is kind of ugly. That's not a hot take? I might actually no. agree with Nick. I think like Tom Cruise is particularly handsome in like Rain Man, but then you you know he does hit sort of this weird, I don't know if you're attractive phase. Yeah, I would agree with that. His face is notoriously asymmetrical for an A-list Hollywood actor. Um, Look at the tooth. The tooth is definitely asymmetrical. Yeah, yeah. And in this movie in particular, too, like they have him like kind of grow out like five o'clock shadow in a way that doesn't really work on his face. Just going to say it. Hate the hair. This was long hair Tom Cruise. Yeah, can't do it. It kind of works for what the original character looked like and for the sort of playboy billionaire. But he's very handsome. Like the point of the first hour of this movie is that he's very handsome. Like the movie is about like what if Tom Cruise wasn't handsome? Sure. That's like the elevator pitch. <laughs> it's like I, I the horror it. of Tom Cruise one day not being handsome. It definitely doesn't have the same impact if it's like Brad Pitt. Tom Cruise is very handsome, guys. Yeah. I, uh, this, this should not be controversial. Is your wife home, Nick? Do we need to get her in on this? Michaela, your opinion is needed. I don't think this is going to go well for you, Nico. He wants to know, Nico wants to know, if you think Tom Cruise is handsome. To me, no. <laughs> but his face has good golden ratio if you're thinking like <laughs> We were just saying the opposite because his tooth, yeah, his tooth is in the middle. I'm thinking his like jawline and like Okay. She is an she's an artist. She's an artist, so yeah. we do have to take that perspective into account. This was a very fair I mean, that is about as objective as I've ever heard in my life. Assessment. Answer to that question. So she's not bullshitting with this golden <laughs> ratio stuff. She, she knows what she's no, talking I, about. No, I so. believe you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I love Abby's answer. <laughs> it's just blunt. It's like, not really my type, but he's not unattractive. There you go. Fair. I mean, guys, okay. All right, fine. I mean, I just think like the guy defined like the male Hollywood archetype for 20 years going on 40. Like, I don't know. The guy's in his 60s, and he's still the biggest star of the world. Like, he's very handsome. He's a handsome man. This, this is the point, though, because after 20 years of bathing in baby's blood, he's only gotten more handsome. That is true. He was very handsome then, dude. I still think his most handsome is collateral. I think that's the best he's ever he's, What are you talking about? Gray hair? Yes. That's his most handsome? That's the best he's ever Not when he's on the beach playing volleyball in Top Gun? That's not handsome? No. Risky business is not handsome? No. Tom Cruise has sort of done the Tom Brady thing. <laughs> Nico so confused. Am I in Vanilla Sky right now? Am I in a simulation? <laughs> I mean, if Tom Cruise is not handsome, what chance do I have? No chance. <laughs> cocktail, dude? Friggin' cocktail? I think you've gotten more handsome, too, as you've gotten older, Nico. Well, I appreciate that, Nick. Now listen, born on the 4th of July, he's not very handsome. I'll give you, although at the beginning of the movie, he's very handsome. I just sent in a little image to our group chat. Okay. Tom Cruise over the years. Y'all seen him in The Outsiders? 
Yes. He has he's like missing a tooth in that movie or something. Oof. That that's the ugliest he's ever been, but that's like his first movie. Yeah, but well, you look at him in like like 2007, just like looks like shit. Yeah, that's not a great photo. That's divorce number two. Bad right? Divorce. I don't like 2005. I don't. I don't. I li- can tell you the moment where I think he he nailed it. I think 2006 is the year where he nailed the look. He looks amazing. He looks good there. I mean, no. Okay, I'll I, I buy the long hair thing. The long hair thing is not really working. I mean, I don't. I've never really liked it. I don't think the facial hair works for him. That 94 picture, he's he's a cutie. 94 is... I mean, this is Tom fucking Cruise we're talking about, though. In Vanilla Sky in particular, this is about as unattractive as he can possibly look in a movie. I said this to Nico last time when we were talking about the movie. This is the worst I've seen Tom Cruise, period. He does look pretty off. I will say, though, those fucking abs are chiseled. I, uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, we're going to get off this topic shortly, I promise, listeners. No, but, we're not. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, we're not. <laughs> he is in an era. I did want to bring this up because this is Tom Cruise's officially fucking weird era. Right? Yes. This yeah. is right in the sweet spot of it. Like the Oprah couch jump is coming very shortly. <laughs> 99 was eyes wide shut. A lot of people Ooh. think that Nicole Kidman divorced him because of that movie. We don't I know. love the idea that he's eyes wide shut and then open your eyes. Eyes wide shut. Magnolia in 1999. Again, that's when the long hair. I think that's probably when he first grows in the long it hair. It works in that because he's supposed to be a complete sleazeball. And he's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great performance. It's a great performance. Uh, Mission Impossible 2 in 2000 doesn't really count. Although he does have the long hair and it's the worst Mission Impossible movie. There you go. Vanilla Sky in 2001. Minority Report in 2002, conventional. Austin Powers in Goldmember. He's in that in 2002. Oh, yeah, he is. Last Samurai in 2003. Weird movie. I've never seen it. Good movie. Very good movie. Oh, really? Yeah, highly recommend. Works with Michael Mann in, in 2004 with Collateral. Back to Spielberg with War of the Worlds. Conventional again. Mission Impossible 3, still pretty conventional. Lions for Lambs, the Robert Redford movie in 2007. And then this is... The sort of the tail end of the weird phase, but this is when it officially ends, in my opinion. Tropic Thunder in 2008. And that is the last time that he has done a weird performance in a movie and made a choice that is not specifically engineered to maximize his star power at any given moment. Mm-hmm. And has never tried anything like that since. Big fucking forearms. Big hands. As, as, hands too, as, as but the forearms said. is really what it is. Yeah, it goes to Ben Stiller, and he's like, I'll do the part, but I need big hands. <laughs> Brilliant! <laughs> yeah. What does that even mean? It means you need big hands, Nick. I don't know. Why is that not self-explanatory? Screams His hands me. needed to be big. <laughs> I wish he stayed in that mode forever. He's really good in that movie too. Oh, I really wish he was just there. My, I want to freeze him in time in Magnolia years and, and Tropic Thunder. He works well when he's playing a shitty dude sometimes. Like they do in Vanilla Sky. They freeze him in time. Is that what you mean? I do, yes. I want them to Vanilla Sky him in real life. Yeah. And I want him to just <laughs> stay in his Magnolia phase. I want him freshly divorced at all times. Fresh. <laughs> Go through another divorce. I want him freshly on the market. I want him having a weird fling with Penelope Cruz offset mm-hmm. at all times. That's why I think he works in this movie because he's a tool bag. But he's like not him. enough of a tool bag. That's the problem. It's in this annoying gray area. Mm, maybe. So he is disfigured now like the Phantom of the Opera. Right. Which disfiguring makeup job did you like better? I think I liked the originals just a little bit more. 
the original is more gruesome to look at, but it also feels more like movie makeup. Yeah. Yes. The Vanilla Sky one feels more real and believable. Right. The original definitely feels more Phantom of the Opera. But I also don't know if a face would look like that after a car accident where I kind of buy it would look like Tom Cruise's, you know? That's true. Yeah. So I guess the question is, are you going for realism or are you going for maximum horror? And I guess... Well, if your movie's going to be this ridiculous, do the maximum horror. Yeah, I'm with you. I definitely feel like the Tom Cruise version of this character is way more vain because it's not that bad. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, whereas the guy in the first movie looks like a fucking mess. He takes it a little easier, though, in the Vanilla Sky version. You know, he kind of makes jokes about it at first. When he's flirting with Penelope Cruz, they're both kind of cool about it. It's not like he stands there in the rain watching her mime for five hours or whatever. It's part of what I absolutely hated about Open Your Eyes. It's just because it just felt like... All of the drama was predicated on this guy just being upset by his face. Every I feel like every single right. decision he was making was because I can't look at myself in the mirror. Right. Everything. Yeah. And it just got so repetitive and annoying. And I'm like, just jump off the fucking bridge <laughs> or the <laughs> building. Sorry. <laughs> the mask in Vanilla Sky looks way less real and way more hilarious <laughs> than the mask yeah. in the original. <laughs> it is so funny. The mask. It is fucking hilarious looking. He's had that soundbite saved there for a year now <laughs> since we did the original pod. Collecting dust. Oh my God. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> That is one of the few moments of legitimate comedy where Cruz is clearly going for comedy and it does work. It is one of the funniest scenes I've seen in a very long time. He's asking for these doctors to do surgery. He's a really rich guy, I remember, and he's saying, I will pay whatever you want, fix my fucking face. And they go, we might have a solution for you. And they pull out like a silicon mask mm-hmm. and they begin talking about it with all these fancy it's a prosthetic. Yeah, it's a prosthetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did prepare something for you based on the preliminary examination. Tell me. Bring it on. It's sometimes useful in the early stages of rejection. It's a facial prosthetic. It was two weeks in the making. Thank you, Carly. A facial prosthetic. The aesthetic replacement does work. Emotionally and actually. And the plastic in the aesthetic shield also blocks out abusive rays and assists in the regeneration of cells. So it's an aesthetic regenerative shield. That's correct. Exactly. And the ergonomics of the plate barrier allows you to interact reflexively with the movements of your own face. I see. It's a helpful unit. Good. Because for a minute there, I thought we were talking about a fucking mask! It's only a mask. If you treat it that way. Oh, no. It's great. This completely takes care of Halloween. And he does like the physical freak out, too, where they pull to a wide and it's, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's brilliant. <laughs> great scene. One of my favorite scenes of the decade. I love it. Uh, feeling sorry for himself, though, he does begin to try to uh, rekindle things with Sophia and things don't quite go his way. He and his best friend and Sophia go out to a club. The bartender's kind of weird. The bartender's very aggressive. Yeah. When he's like, this one's on the house. I thought he was kind of acting like a bartender in a club would act. Like, I don't give a fuck about anybody. I'm just pouring a drink. <laughs> I guess that's a bit redundant when I say a bartender in a club is aggressive. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of exactly what I picture. Yeah. That's a fair point. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. So the next morning, things begin to start going well again. And uh, he gets back with Sophia. They find a new surgery that can repair his face. And this is like a turning point in the film. A little earlier than this, they begin to also show us scenes of the future of our main character sitting in a jail cell wearing this mask, talking to a psychiatrist who's saying, you've been accused of murder. Tell me the story. Show me your face. Played by Kurt Russell. Uh, yeah, that's that, that's a big thing. Yeah, because I don't think Kurt Russell was really a part of the advertising of this movie. And most people that are somewhat aware of the film have no idea that Kurt Russell's in it. So, yeah, and he plays a pretty pivotal role as the guy that Tom Cruise confides in for this like weird noir element. Kurt Russell's one of those guys where if, if you put him in a movie, I'm happy. He's uh, really good in this. Yeah, I like him in every basically everything he does, yeah. And he's really well cast again. Mm-hmm. Cuz again, I really think most of the casting choices in this movie are actually very good. Yeah, the the weird one is Penelope Cruz. I feel like that's the one that sticks out most like the sore thumb even though she already played the part. Well, I think Cameron Diaz is the one that I, I, while I think she's good, it feels wrong. But I do agree with you that Penelope Cruz feels like she's ripped from another movie because she literally was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Would you have cast someone other than Penelope Cruz? And if so, who? Well, it's tough at the time because like she's just starting to break as a star and I'm sure the studio really wanted her for that reason. Mm-hmm. And also Cruz was quite smitten with her. They were a little hanky-panky on the side there. <laughs> I wonder, do you think you could switch the parts? Mm. Could Diaz have played the main love interest? Oh. And could Cruz have played no. the femme fatale? Definitely not Cruz in the femme fatale. No? No. Mm. Yeah, you're probably right, but it'd be interesting. Just realized Cameron Diaz was also in Being John Malkovich, wasn't she? She was. Oh, wow. So she's good in that movie. Yeah, she's very good in that movie. Wow, so she's having a weird moment with these odd psychological movies. Hollywood's having a weird moment now, you know? Hollywood's having, like, this weird... Because the internet is sort of a thing now and uh, the culture is kind of reacting to it and there's this weird existentialism in the air it's post 9-11 weird stuff's happening yeah i was just about to ask when did this came out 2001 this was released christmas of 2001 as kind of like an oscar player like they thought that it would do well at award season and of course yeah it was also after 9-11 which is weird timing considering it's a new york city movie and i think the towers are in the movie too oh my god so I'll just kind of, I'm going to yada yada a little bit here. The movie yada yada is this part, so you can <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I mean, we're showing scenes of his life getting better, and then he, the nightmares, right? He begins to have these strange nightmares. He begins to see Sophia as the woman who killed him instead. Diaz instead of Cruz in Vanilla Sky. Right. And he ties her to the bed, and he calls the police and says, um, there's an intruder in my home. I've captured them. I don't know where my girlfriend is. He ends up getting arrested, and as we found, he beat her. And in the original film, he does beat her. <laughs> yes, it's quite jarring. Yeah, this is sort of where the facade begins to crumble. We discover that this entire world might be a dream. And at this point, it is unclear exactly where that dream started. Later, it is explained it started exactly in that. Yes, after the nightclub, Cruz, Jason Lee, and cruise part ways in the middle of a street corner and he imagines in his head that jason lee and penelope cruz are making out around the corner so he has a bit of a breakdown 
Uh, he's also kind of drunk at the time. He ends up passing out on the street corner, and when he wakes up, Penelope Cruz is there to greet him, smiling face. All of a sudden, the sky is vanilla. It's a little sunnier, right? He's able to get facial reconstruction surgery after all. But as the line starts blurring between Penelope Cruz and Cameron Diaz, in a fit of rage, mid-coitus, he smothers whichever one of the women happens to be in that bed at any moment. It's kind of a Mahalan Drive situation where it's like, these women might actually be the same woman, or maybe they're different, or maybe this is all a dream. You know, what is reality? I just want to tell all writers, please stop doing this. Yeah. Please, I, It never, ever, ever, ever works for me when, like, something like critical, like a character moment like that happens mid-coitus. Like, I love Munich, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> the Munich sex scene rules. It's unbelievable, That's but I, I'm not sure it completely works, but... <laughs> there's, a, there's a great little callback, because in an earlier sex scene... Uh, Tom Cruise is really obsessed with a mole on Penelope Cruz's boob. It's the dumbest, dumbest shit, thing. dude. And that's used as like a visual device later. He recognizes that same mole on the boob after he suffocated her. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's how he realizes who he killed, actually. Or In the original movie, like, she makes Caesar insert like a coin in her armpit or whatever. Yeah. To continue sex I, that see that felt more endearing that felt more cute and yeah. i don't know i watched that scene again the yeah, relationship it's, it's, in the original good. is so much better it's good filmmaking yeah that's why i like it nick it's good filmmaking yeah, yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> you guys <laughs> <laughs> you dogs <laughs> you salty dogs <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I, I think the relationship in the original is really actually like kind of sweet at times when it's not horrifying. When it's not being horrifying, it definitely makes more sense to me than the relationship yeah, in yeah. Vanilla Sky, which, as I kind of said earlier, is it just feels like it's forced upon us rather than happening organically. And here's the thing. I don't want to hear the excuse of, well, it's all a dream. It's like, no, well, if it's going to be a convincing dream, I need to buy it's gotta that be a relationship. Good dream. Yeah. I buy it. I buy exactly. it. Yeah, yeah, I got you. I got you. Yeah. Throughout the film, and even more so, I would say, in Vanilla Sky than in the original, we get these um, sort of uh, glimpses of commercials or advertisements or recognizing people in the street who say weird things to him that lead us to a company that promises to extend your lifespan. And it is at this point that uh, Cesar or David or whoever begins to – I hate that they change the names. (laughs) Call him the protagonist protagonist it's at this point that he realizes i'm living in a dream and my dream has become a nightmare in the original this is when he convinces our kurt russell character to help him go out of jail go visit the company and he goes on a rampage escapes and kills some people in the street and he's like this is all a dream and he's just going ape shit and it is some of the most like in the modern age of like school shootings, it is legitimately horrifying. Yeah. Scene, like yeah. watching somebody snap. I do wish they included it in the new version and I should probably track down the director's I, cut. I don't know if Cruz could have pulled it off the same way. When was Columbine? Uh, not too long after this, right? Yeah. I was going to say that might've been a big part of it. Yeah. Col- uh, late 98, 98. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that would make sense. 99. Yeah, there it is. There it is. Yeah, I need to track down that scene. Maybe I need to buy Vanilla Sky on Blu-ray, guys. What do you think? If anybody should have it, it's you. You own a copy of Pink Flamingos, dude. It's the least you can do. That's right. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> in the new version, by the way, this character that works at the Life Extension Company is played by Tilda Swinton. Yeah. Can you believe that we're talking about Tilda Swinton twice in this two month long month that we've been doing? She, I would say, maximizes her screen time. I think she's quite good. I think she's quite, excuse the pun, vanilla. <laughs> I think I think I think she kind of just reads her lines. I don't know. As far as Tilda Swinton performances go, it's it's normal. That's why Nico's saying that she's maximizing her screen presence because she's actually being normal for it. Yeah, it's cool when she's playing a human from that, Earth. That's right. <laughs> I dig that. <laughs> I feel like she has to act harder to yes, do this. That's right. That's right. Yeah, she's really trying hard to not call attention to herself. Imagine that you are suffering from a terminal illness. You'd like to be cryonized, but you'd rather be resurrected to continue your own life as you know it now. L.E. offers you the answer. Upon resurrection, you will continue in an ageless state, preserved, but living in the present with a future of your choosing. Your death will be wiped from your memory. Your life will continue as a realistic work of art, painted by you, minute to minute. And you'll live it with the romantic abandon of a summer day, with the feeling of a great movie or a pop song you always loved, with no memory of how it all occurred, save for the knowledge that everything simply improves. And in any instance of discontent, you'll be visited by technical support. It's all just around the corner, the day after tomorrow. Another chapter begins seamlessly. A living dream. Life extensions promise to you. Life part two. A living dream. Am I the only one who felt like there was really no proper setup? They may have given little teasers uh, beforehand, but nothing to the degree of like, there is this magical company that can like extend your life. Like cryotainment, as Kurt Russell dubs it. It's kind of weird, right? Because... In the movie, they explained that if you purchase this cryotainment option where they essentially if you pay the money, you sign a contract and when you die, they will either keep your body frozen until they can bring you back when technology advances or they can put your brain in a matrix like scenario where you're living in bliss and you pick the point in time in which you want to be reawoken from and you just live out your fantasy. A never ending dream. Yes, there would not be set up. If you woke up in this reality, you wouldn't know, and then suddenly you would, like the character did. So, like, on the one hand, I think it's horrible storytelling, yeah. but on the other hand, it's exactly what this plot demands. There's more of it in the new one, with Benny the dog appearing on Conan O'Brien. I understand. It's almost, it's almost too much setup in the in the new one. It's so obvious that it's distracting. I mean, it just comes back to like, I don't know how you pulled this story off. I don't know what the good version is because I just think it's so outrageous. Like even when it's revealed, I don't believe it in the context of this world yet, you know? And and they're very different movies, but I just kept thinking like, oh my God, what if we went an, like an hour and a half in Total Recall and they finally got to Total Recall? <laughs> it's like, that's yes. a weird movie. Well, or The Matrix, I guess. Sure. If the red pill, yeah. blue pill thing happened at the hour 55. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, what are we doing? <laughs> I think this movie works as a straight sci-fi where we start with somebody who's already woken up from being cryogenically frozen and the whole setting is in the future. And now we're questioning, wait, Am I actually woken up or am I in a reality within a reality? Like, I think that's kind of how it 
works better. Uh, hard pass on that, but <laughs> I do think you are right. You don't like sci-fi. He does not I, like sci-fi. I, I do like sci-fi. Just according to Adam, I don't like good sci-fi. Yeah, do, well, the, the case in point here, fucker. <laughs> I'm like this as well. You don't like hard sci-fi. Yeah, right. That's true. I like like philosophical sci-fi that is really more about our world than it is some sort of imaginary world with rules. Yeah, and, no, hard, hard sci-fi where it's all about like just futuristic settings, technology, blah, blah, blah. Yes. I just like ideas. I like ideas and like this is a movie with just ideas really and nothing else. So that's why I kind of dig it. Do you like ideas? <laughs> I'm not sure. You're, you're just you're, dumb ones. I think, I think, yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I, I will, I will give you this, Nick, the movie should have you questioning what is real. What is fake a little more like Kurt Russell at the end. I, I do like this little touch that Kurt Russell's character never realizes that he's a character in the dream. Yeah. So he sort of has his own consciousness. And in the Spanish version of the movie, you actually go inside this character's point of view for the last like 10 minutes. So he's telling Tom Cruise before it's time to jump off the building and to wake back up to open his eyes at the end of the movie. Don't do it. This is all the trap. This is the seven dwarves of your company that what he calls the board of his company trying to trick you into committing suicide, essentially. I do wish that that character was given more credibility in the last 10 minutes. And if this was legitimately a mystery, if I could leave this movie with a little bit of ambiguity, that would be sick. And I think Cameron Crowe imagines that there's a little more ambiguity in the ending than there actually is. No, like, like maybe I'm just not used to a movie being that heavy-handed and on the nose about what it's doing. That There's that part of my brain that's like, are you fucking with me here? Or are you being completely serious about like what sure. your intentions are? It's just, I'm not used to that in a movie ever. And ugh, I hate this ending so much. <laughs> yeah, well, I also didn't like the part where the guy who's telling him like, oh, this is all a dream and you have the choice to wake up. And he goes, your panel of observers are waiting for your decision. And he points to the camera and Tom Cruise looks at the camera <laughs> as if like we are the ones observing this virtual reality of this character. Fuck that. Okay. With a capital all right. F. Yeah. I'm not sure it's as meta as you're describing it. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I, I Tom guess. Tom Cruise stares I at the guess. camera. I for guess. Six it seconds. has to be somewhat meta by design. I, yeah. I guess. I do like this idea, though, again, that the reality that is utopic for this vain man-child is one that is corporatized and produced, right? The idea that, like, culture, the stuff that we consume is the oasis in the desert for him. Although the movie doesn't, like, characterize it in the same way that the Matrix characterizes the alien race that's invaded the Earth, like, it still is meant to be dystopic. Like, it's not supposed to be a happy idea sure. for me. It's just a little gentler, that's all. I'm not sure what I learned by that ending, I guess. It's just not an interesting question. And, and here's the other thing, and you did say this before, Adam. You said that the choice was kind of inevitable. The plot demanded it. Yeah. Yeah, the choice isn't really much of a choice for Tom Cruise yeah. at the end. Yeah. It's actually more so a problem in Aubrey Los Ojos because they don't have a tech support character. They yeah. just sort of say, like... All right, so you're done here. It's now your moment of choice. You can return to your lucid dream and live a beautiful life with Sophia or whomever you wish. Or you can choose the world out there. The world out there? 
And you can bring me back. Just like Benny the dog? Yes. Just like Benny the dog. Your face and body can be fixed now, of course. But things are very different now. And your finances won't last long. There are no guarantees. But remember, even in the future, the sweet is never as sweet without the sour. I, I will say it was not exactly the red pill, blue pill choice for Neo. Because the life outside of the Matrix was actually disturbing, whereas this one was just a bit unknown, but ultimately not that bad. Right. I'd, I'd like to be convinced by the science, not to be a nerd, and I know you don't oh, give a fuck a about, fuck. Yeah, but like, I don't, I don't understand this shit for a second. Like, if, if he's dead, he's dead. This is the type of sci-fi where they're using science as like a form of magic. It's not, you're not supposed to know how it works. That, that's maybe my issue with it. Yeah. I, think that's, I think that's besides the point, if uh-huh. I'm honest with you. It's like Superman was frozen in a block of ice. Well, it's the same thing. It's a comic book. All right. <laughs> my final verdict on both of these movies is, A, I don't really think they're very good, but like, there's something here I, I'm rooting for. I am rooting for this this franchise. <laughs> the, yes. the, next, the next remake. Yes, Nick. I am rooting for it, but I do think it is, A, really hard to make right and b the two attempts so far have been pretty subpar but if i was going to recommend one while i think vanilla sky is more approachable for the average american viewer i think the original is better i think if you're willing to watch with subtitles if you're not uh two cents rob i would recommend watching uh the original again the 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 pop culture montage at the end of it is really what gets it for me like the idea that when he jumps off the building and his life is flashing before his eyes, he sees pictures of his childhood, he sees the women that he loved, and he sees music videos and Bob Dylan albums <laughs> and James Bond movies and that. Which which at no point during the movie did they indicate that he had any of those interests. Well, but. he does have a Jules and Jim poster in his bedroom, and it's very large. And it's like, why would a guy like that have a Jules and Jim poster? Because he's really into movies. Yeah. And apparently, like, Penelope Cruz's character was kind of modeled after... Yeah, <laughs> nothing to do with what does one that mean? those two movies i don't know well they are, but they also say the, that kurt russell is kind of modeled after atticus finch i could see atticus finch oh, I, I, God, I can buy that one break when it comes to that when it comes to jules and jim there is a car accident at the end where they go off of a bridge yeah this, so there is there that. you go there, there you go there's the connection yeah he's got two he's got a, a jules and jim poster and a breathless poster in his bedroom and they're like life-size and it's like this guy's a fuck boy what he's like really into the criterion collection i guess <laughs> according to cameron crow there are over 400 pop culture easter eggs in there including like mystery needle drop what is this a fucking mini game what is this yes shit? to me it is god damn it there's a needle there's a apparently a, a needle drop of an unreleased nirvana song the only unreleased nirvana song kicks in during that sex scene where he murders Sophia. What, you know you're right? Yes. Mm. And that that comes in in between the, I think, is there a Dylan song playing at that point? Or oh, maybe, yeah, or, it is in that. Or one. maybe that's when Porpoise song, the monkey's song, comes in. I'm not sure. Yeah. I remember watching the movie, and I'm like, what? He got permission from Courtney Love to release that song in the movie. Yeah. To use it for a couple seconds. The song that's not very kind to Courtney Love either. <laughs> There's something really weird about Courtney Love giving permission to use that song in that scene. I something. It's fucking. There's sick. a joke there. It's, it's, there's a it's dark sick. joke there. It's fucking sick. Uh, yeah. There's also like uh, 
that the the phrase revolution of the mind this is a revolution of, of the mind that's a james brown album if you look hard enough there's easter eggs all over the place not just the bob dylan free will and bob dylan album cover or whatever uh that personal touch i know it's corny but like that is the personal stamp that i look for in my science fiction <laughs> and this movie is just my thing sorry i'm sorry can't help what I like. You don't need to apologize because, like, this isn't even that egregious. <laughs> I don't think it's not good, <laughs> but but like, I get it. I get where you're coming from. There is a cool idea buried somewhere in this mess. Yeah, it's not made by a genre filmmaker, so that's a big problem. Man. But I like, it. <laughs> and that's all I got. That's my vanilla sky yeah. defense, and I rest my case. Okay. <laughs> the defense rests. Okay. <laughs> Anything else, Nick? I objectively don't think they're good, but there is a part of me that wants to like these movies. Yeah, like, you'll, there you'll really come is. around on the second watch. You're going <laughs> to be won't. on a long flight, on a long red eye. You're going to flip this puppy on. I think I could come around on the original, but I don't think I can come around on the, the vanilla sky version because it's just there's so many, there's some real big problems that i just i don't think i can really get around no i actually kind of agree i, I could see myself thinking abre los hojos is okay that's okay. the that's the furthest i could possibly get with okay. this possibly but i don't know if i'll ever get there yeah i have a hard time separating i don't know I, like i don't know if i can say ob- objectively vanilla sky is better but like i just have such a personal attachment to it it's hard watching the original and yeah yeah, I mean the things that I like about it just have nothing really to do with the story or anything. Yeah, so, yeah, well, that's, so that's very different perspective then. Yeah. You could say that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it did well at the box office. Actually, it made a hundred million domestic, hundred million worldwide, two hundred million total on a sixty million budget. Did okay. Tom Cruise made it out all right. He's doing fine now. It is his favorite movie. It is the, his favorite movie that he's ever done. He loves this movie and he loved being a part of it because it was also like his brainchild in many ways. <laughs> and that's that Michael Shannon's in it. Did we mention that Michael Shannon pops up young Michael Shannon? Yeah. It really breaks my heart watching him have such a little role. Johnny Galecki's in it. Mm-hmm. Fucking Timothy Spall's really good. as like the attorney. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we're done. And we're done. Yeah. It does kind of feel a little weird to just stop. Yeah. <laughs> On Timothy <laughs> Spall? Yeah. yeah and, a uh, we, <laughs> good, as, good a place as any, I guess. Timothy Spall. As we're long done. as we've been talking about like doing this movie, and now we're kind of like, and we're done. Yeah. All right. well, I think we did a good time. number on it. I think we'll we're be, all right. Yeah, we'll be back in three too. weeks yeah. or whatever. <laughs> um, let me give you a good little nugget to go out on. Let's see. Oh, let me read you some of the taglines for Vanilla Sky. Oh, lovely. All right. Open your eyes, obviously. Name of the old movie. Mm. Uttered in this movie by an alarm clock and also by... Oh, I think the voice at the end, actually, the, I think she's credited as the future. She's the last voice heard in the movie when she tells Danny to open his eyes. That was Laura Frazier who plays Lydia on Breaking Bad. Oh, oh. cool. I got to say, I was a little shocked that the first line of this movie was Abre lo, los ojos. Yes. Like, yeah. they just say it in Spanish. Yeah, right. Forget everything you know and open your eyes. A variation of that. Uh, Looks can be deceiving! Exclamation point. What is happiness to you? Line of dialogue in the movie. 
How about face off? That's not bad. (laughs) Pretty good. Is your subconscious your conscious? Is your conscious your subconscious? (laughs) That's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Is your id your ego? How about them super egos? One ticket, please. (laughs) And this is all one word, no spaces. All one word, no spaces. Love, hate, dreams, life, work, play, friendship, sex. It's the tagline for the movie. I mean, that's that's everything that's in the movie. Vanilla Sky. <laughs> Vanilla Sky. All right. We are off to Toronto, guys. We're leaving right now, right this second. I was going to say, by the time they're listening, yes. we're probably there. We're there. Yes. Yes. So we're here. We're here. It's cold. <laughs> but very polite. Yeah, very, very. <laughs> Shrinkage. <laughs> Yeah, uh, give it a minute. It'll it'll warm up. Uh, well, we will be back on the Movie Hall of Fame podcast at some point to talk about all the TIFF movies that we saw. Yes. Hopefully many of them. And we'll have probably some tales too from over the border. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to take a couple weeks off here on Why Is This a Thing and be back first week of October for the Spooktacular. That is right. Ooh, I cannot wait. And we love you. Or do we? And Mm. uh, (laughs) you swallowed my cum. That means something. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. 